Hi everyone, welcome to the Slice of Life podcast. Thank you for joining us. We are Novia, Darius and Nigel from Project Happy Apples, a palliative care project based at NUS Medicine aiming to spark conversations about death and how palliative care can improve patients' quality of life. Today we are joined by Tsisin from Dover Park Hospice. Tsisin joined Dover Park Hospice in 2019 as a full-time pharmacist. Previously, she worked at an acute hospital. Today, we'll be exploring the role of a pharmacist in caring for patients at the end of life. Tsisin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. So, to start things off, do you mind sharing about the reasons why you chose to become a pharmacist? Uh, so personally, I'm very intrigued by how a medication works once it enters uh, into the human body. And I also enjoy how the pharmacy course gave me a very blended training to understand the human physiology uh, of the anat- an anatomy of the body and at the same time knowing how the chemical effects of medication work. Uh, I also enjoyed the prospect of working in the healthcare industry and to apply my skills on real-life patients. Okay, that was very interesting to hear. So maybe you might want to share a bit more about your time in pharmacy school as well for the students out there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so pharmacy uh, school in NUS is a four-year program. Uh, oh, the first two years or so, uh, I think we still go a little bit, a lot into theory, anatomy, physiology, uh, chemistry even. So I would say that uh, it's really a lot of uh, content a lot of uh, memorizing work to be done uh, but once it gets into more uh, 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 practical work like for example you go on attachment you go on certain uh, internships and all that then you start to see how all the training comes into play in real life and that helps to gel all the training together yeah and i think that uh, once you graduate and really start practicing that is when you start to appreciate all that you have learned uh, in back in pharmacy school Okay, so are you still in contact with a few of your batchmates or friends from pharmacy school? Yes, certainly. In fact, a lot of them became our, our colleagues, mm-hmm. you know. And then uh, I, I think that is some uh, thing that's really very beautiful about pharmacy cohort because I think uh, back when I was still in school, I think we have a cohort of 100 plus per, per class. And then uh, in the end, it, we, we get to be very um, close-knitted and very bonded. And most of us actually eventually go on to become colleagues in the same workplace, that really helps in the first few years of your career when you are really just out there, you know, not knowing whether what you're doing is helping or harming the patients, but you really have those friends and colleagues supporting you. So yes, I'll say even up to now, that, that we are still quite in close contact. Thank you so much for sharing. So we noticed that you used to work at an acute hospital before joining Dover Park Hospice. So what sparked this change? So uh, before, in an acute hospital, I feel that my practice is very broad-based. So weekly basis, I get rotated to different specialties, different wards, uh, get into uh, contact with different type of doctors or specialty nurses. Um, and over, over my course practice there, I also get to um, try out palliative wards and palliative care. And I find that that gives me a lot of meaning as a person and as a healthcare professional. So um, when there was an opportunity in this hospice, took a leap of faith to, to really try out what it means like to be a hospice pharmacist and uh, yeah, that's, that's why I made the jump here. Okay. Okay, so earlier I think Novia here mentioned about uh, a bit about our project. So Project Happy Apples is a palliative care project based in NUS Medicine and we aim to spark conversations about uh, end-of-life care and death as well as about palliative care. So 
each of us in our in the committee have our own reasons for joining um, Project IP Apples. So we would actually like to hear what palliative care means to you as a pharmacist. I guess the principle of being a pharmacist in all healthcare settings are quite similar, which is to really ensure that we give out the effective, safe medications for all our patients. But I think even more so for palliative care when the patients are actually towards the end of life and whereby they can be uh, uh, symptomatic or they may actually value a lot of quality of life to spend the uh, the remaining days with our family. So uh, what it means to me is really how we can use uh, the best use of medications to help manage my patient's symptoms, uh, to give them the best quality of life so that they can enjoy the remaining time with their families. So um, and over here at the hospice setting where uh, in terms of drug formulary it's not as broad based as an acute hospital. So that really challenges me to really make the best recommendation based on what we have, based on what is available, uh, as well as what is uh, cost-effective for patients here. Mm, yeah. Okay, so which part of your job do you find the most rewarding? So over here in the hospital, so we work in quite a small team whereby pretty much every staff here knows one another. So it's rewarding when we work as a team and we know each other and that we can build up the rapport and trust with one another. So whereby any recommendation made by anyone in the team is being valued, is being heard, and uh, yeah, there's just a lot of uh, interprofessional respect, interprofessional uh, working relationship. Love to hear that. Yeah, I definitely wish my future <laughs> workplace is um, as good as like, the kind of um, relationship you described with your colleagues. Um, so, since you mentioned the team that you all work together, how does your role actually tie in with the larger multidisciplinary team at the hospice here? Okay. So, in the multidisciplinary team, we expect that every professional has their niche. So, my niche will be in medications and uh, recommending what is suitable for the patient, what is available in our hospice. Uh, but I think how it gels in is also that uh, medication can, uh, or rather, any, like, any healthcare uh, personnel should not be working in silos. We do need to understand what the doctors think about the prognosis, about the diagnosis, what the social circumstances of the patients are before we can really have a recommendation of the most suitable drug for the patient. Yeah, so how it ties in is that we really are really bringing the medication part of it while understanding the other medical and social circumstances of the patients. Mm. Yeah, that's really important. Um, I think for most of us, when we think about what a pharmacist's job entitles, um, usually it's like handling medications, dispensing and explaining things to patients. So can you share with us maybe what is, what does medication error necessarily mean and how does it impact a patient? Okay, so medication error by definition, it means a preventable error that leads to the use of inappropriate medication in the patients. So, uh, as her name suggests, it's preventable. So therefore, as any healthcare professional or institution, we must do our best to really prevent it from happening. And with that, we do have guidelines, we do have protocols in place, uh, one of which is what we call the seven rights of medication administration, uh, meaning we have to ensure that we are looking at the right patient, the right medication, dosage, frequency, route, indication as well as documentation to following all this protocol to ensure that we do not uh, give a patient an inappropriate drug. 
Mm, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense to us. Um, how about, um, I guess, I think another misconception that people often have about pharmacists is that um, you are simply responsible for managing the medications, the symptoms, um, but not so, so much involved in the social side of caring for the patient. Would you say that was true or is that just a myth? Mm. I would say that it depends on the area of your work. Uh, I think as a pharmacist, we do uh, wish that we also have all the circum uh, social circumstances and input before making the right recommendation. Uh, but perhaps in a larger organization whereby the, the a multidisciplinary team may not be as close, may not have the opportunity to hear so much. But over here, uh, I'm very glad, in fact, it's something that I learned over here as well because um, in our multidisciplinary team, which we meet on a weekly basis or even see each other on a daily basis, mm. we, we get, get to be very in tune with patient social circumstances. And personally, I feel that matters most in terms of medication. As much as you can give the right medication or the best medication, but if the patient's social circumstances may not allow him or her to receive the drug, it is essentially useless. Be it um, issues such as financial difficulties, health literacy, or even dexterity issue, right? If they cannot really remove the tablet from the bottle, you know that that is an issue. So uh, I feel that um, as much as possible. Pharmacists should also understand social, medical, and of course the medication aspects of things in order to reconcile all these factors to give the right recommendation. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I understand that in a hospice, I, I suppose a lot of patients might be at um, pretty much the end stage of their disease and maybe they don't know how to swallow the medication, so you have to adjust accordingly, right? Yes. So what kind of, maybe give us an example of um, how the way you usually deliver a medicine will be different um, in the hospital versus, uh, let's say, for patients at the end of life. Okay, so uh, you're right to say that patients at the end of life uh, do have some swallowing difficulties. Uh, but I think nowadays, uh, drug manufacturing company are also quite smart. Uh, we have something called oral dispersible tablet, which, uh, as the name suggests, it disperses very readily when it comes into contact with the buccal cavity and saliva. So this is a class of medication oh, that we use a lot over here for patients who are agitated, for patients who are very combative. So uh, the, that, that is one way in which we can overcome you know, patients who can't swallow or patients who cannot cooperate. Uh, we use a lot of uh, subcutaneous injections over here simply because uh, injections deliver the medicines directly into the patient system. It's very fast and effective. And subcutaneous because um, it's supposedly more less invasive compared to intravenous and at the end of life when comfort is really of top priority we try to uh, you know find ways to deliver the medicines in the most comfortable way mm, yeah that's really good to hear as well um, since we are talking about uh, managing patients and um, interacting with patients more closely as a pharmacist especially here in the hospice could you tell us maybe a patient that really left a long lasting impression on you mm. I remember this patient uh, who had a cancer in her brain and that resulted in her uh, exhibiting very difficult to manage behaviour such as agitation and delirium. We managed to eventually stabilise her medication regime to, uh, to ensure that she has a more um, 
normal behavior and that I feel that that itself is really a challenge because it really uh, tests us you know things that's out of the textbooks she really required out of the norm dosages and those frequency to eventually stabilize her so and I think uh, that is the medical aspect of it I think the social aspect of it is that uh, we really witness the love and the bond between the patient and the husband because despite all this very uh, agitated behavior that the wife presents the husband has been very dedicated and very caring to her all the way to the end so i think this dedication also reminds me that regardless of how challenging every patient's behavior is they are also somebody's loved ones and it challenges us to treat our patient here with love and dignity even though they are not the most lovable so that uh, just as how we wish our loved ones to be cared for I definitely agree. Yeah, I think there's definitely some patients that may, might be a bit difficult to manage than others, but at the end of the day, like you said, someone's family member and they are very well loved, so we should treat them with respect and care just like everybody else. Was there difficulty in terms of perhaps the dosage because of the side effects that it might pose on this particular patient that you have to consider? Yes, certainly. Because um, in terms of drug monograph, we, as much as possible, we want to practice evidence-based medication, mm-hmm. sticking to medi- uh, the maximum dosages that were studied in papers and stuff like that. Uh, but also in the area of palliative care, we usually find that such evidence are um, usually extrapolated. We simply because ethics committee may not really <laughs> allow a lot of palliative patients to be under trials. So for that reason, we do have to really look into a lot of literature to extrapolate whatever knowledge we know and at the same time balance the risk and benefit. If the harm or the side effects are going to come years later, that may or may not be applicable to my patient. So we really want to look at short-term um, risk and benefit assessment. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, since we're talking about dealing with patients who might be a bit difficult, um, could you tell us maybe common struggles that you generally face throughout your work day? Okay. Um, so I think one of it, which is what we mentioned, the some of the research as well as the, the, the medication data in the palliative population may be quite uh, little, and oftentimes we may have to use non-labeled indication or dosages. So when we have a challenging behavior, a symptom that is hard to manage, and we're being used up a lot of our so-called first, second line, or even third line kind of medications, that really require us to think of the box and to uh, even combine drugs with synergistic effect to um, bring patient that relief. So that itself can be some challenging issues. And also, of course, uh, at the end of life, uh, there can be patients who just turn very symptomatic. And that itself is more of a healthcare professional's helplessness. Because as much as you do want to use medications or even non-pharmacological methods to help them, but we do know that that is the eventual trajectory of life. And um, yeah, that, that sort of helplessness can also be challenging to manage from time. Thank you so much for sharing, Cixing. So now we'll just be moving on to some final words and some advice that you would like to give to um, others out there in the healthcare industry. So the first question would be, how has your view on life and death, as well as palliative care, changed after working at Dover Park Hospice? So initially, uh, 
I feel that death is also a very taboo topic in the healthcare industry because it may mean that you know your your treatment or your management uh, has failed to prolong the patient's life. But after working in the hospice and understanding what palliative care is all about, I feel that death is something that should be celebrated as much as life itself. So uh, it really matters. What really matters is you know how we manage and how we help the patient. Uh, through the last few days or the weeks of life. Okay, so on that note, what is one thing that you want people to change about the way that they see palliative care? So, I, I think palliative care uh, should not be labelled as something like an abandonment of the medical team whereby they stop all curative treatment and they go on to best supportive care. It should be something that should be initiated even when patient is uh, on curative treatment because it's really a very long journey where patients and family need to understand what is the eventual trajectory of life. and. Uh, I hope that they eventually perceive palliative care to be something that uh, should be started yeah, even if pa- before patient goes into best supportive care to understand what is to come and how to manage all those symptoms when the disease really reaches the end. Lastly, is there any advice that you would like to give to current and future healthcare professionals that are working in the hospital or hospice environment? I think the advice really is wherever we practice, so long as we keep to our healthcare professional ethics and we stay true to what our profession really trains us to do, uh, I, I think that is really staying true to your, uh, you know, what, what your calling as the healthcare professional to be. And regardless of the site of practice, uh, I feel that uh, so long as we all do our best and we know our patient as a whole, uh, like I said, the medical aspect, the social aspect, and to really try to see every patient as an individual and uh, somebody's loved one. That, that will really give you the responsibility to help every single patient you come across. Okay, thank you so much to Singh for joining us on our podcast today. We really love to have you again next time and hopefully we'll cross our path again in the future um, as healthcare professionals, whether in a hospital or a hospice. All the best to you in your future. Thank you. All the best to you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye.